0: The Small Town Faith, hosted by Nick Butcher, where we take a break from the present to explore the faith of Christians living in the small town and rural areas across the United States. These are their stories, their faith in Christ, and our family history in their own words. Let's get started. Today we have
1: Jacob Butcher who serves in Fairfield, Illinois at Fairfield Christian Church. And we're going to get his perspective on his faith journey and what he sees the rural church doing as compared to other churches. And so let's just start out simple. Uh, you've been a Christian for quite a while. Could you describe your faith journey to the audience?
0: Up and down would be a pretty good way to describe it. I came to faith at a young age. I was about 11 years old when I came to faith. Uh, after that, it was. Uh, some trying times of, of exploring my faith, um, periods of time where my faith kind of went dormant for a while, especially, um, post junior high into high school. That was a pretty, uh, rough time. And then kind of saw a renaissance to my faith, uh, post high school into college, uh, especially when I started uh, going to a Christian college and got to explore my faith on a deeper level. Uh, it's, it's, been a a long journey so far but it's been a really good journey of faith for me
1: what precipitated you going to a small
0: um midwestern seminary i was at a community college for a while and i felt after my first year i just felt felt lost uh wasn't sure what i wanted to do with my life um And I had a couple conversations, one with my pastor and then uh, one with my brother who I'm doing this with and decided to pursue something um, ministry related. Um, Wasn't exactly sure what I wanted at the time. When I got to college, I just, just kind of picked a preaching degree because I thought that looked the coolest. So I got into it and then fell in love with it. And that's what led me to a that's what led me to Lincoln, and I knew a lot of people that went to Lincoln too. It was pretty popular with our church. What um, What led you to Christ? Or should I say, who led you to Christ? The only way I can describe it is the Holy Spirit prompting. I can, I still can remember it to this day, sitting in that pew in that small church in rural Illinois, uh, hearing the same messages over and over and our pastor would just go through the book of the Bible he didn't try to do anything fancy uh, and I just remember it I got up one day out of the pew one Sunday morning and I knew that I was supposed to go down and I I needed to confess and I needed to repent and I needed to give my life to Christ that day I can I can remember it very vividly that I needed to do that. That it was just—it was almost like my body was moving without me necessarily telling it to move. I just knew that I needed to go down front, and I needed to do this. I needed—I had to respond. Uh, I can't really remember what the message was, but I—I I remember that reaction, that response to the message. So that minister you're talking about was that Charlie Richardson? Yeah, that was that was Charlie. He was a—he was a very faithful minister. I always. I always remember that he would just go through books of the Bible, never tried to add anything, any show to it. He just took you through the books of the Bible. I remember him going through the Gospel of John, and he just gave you a very straightforward approach. Do you know how long he was a minister there? Oh, boy. he. I remember talking to Charlie before I was going to go to Lincoln. He was giving me a recommendation i remember him telling me stories about him having conversations with my great grandma so he was there for a long time he was there as long as i I had been alive and he had been my dad's minister for as long as he had been alive so he was just this guy that was faithful in this one place for a very long time i actually did a little research on
1: charlie Charlie was a minister at Scottville Christian Church for 49 years, 49 straight consecutive years, Sunday after Sunday, and uh, you, you are kind of a testament to that type of faithfulness. We, we don't normally see that in the larger churches of that, that long-haul type preaching. And so this, this segment, this uh, podcast is kind of dedicated to that, of de- developing faithfulness in these rural areas that are um, primarily underserved. So that's what we're showcasing are, are individuals like yourself who, who are success stories of, of these uh, areas that don't get a lot of publicity. They don't get a lot of uh, airtime. And so this is kind of a unique thing that we're doing, and you're one of the few examples that that we could think of right offhand of someone who has went from a a small town, a town of less than 85 people, with an average church attendance at the time you were attending, of right around 80 to 100 people. And many, many baptisms, many, many people coming to Christ and not just coming to Christ, but staying faithful to Christ through the years. And, and you bring up Charlie's uh, willingness to to continue to preach through books of the Bible. It, it's something for our listeners that probably don't know. It's called Lectio Continua, um, literally going verse by verse through the Bible or segment by segment through the Bible. And keeping that train of thought of the original authors and letting the Bible do the work of evangelism and catechism. And it's something that is almost absurd to other preachers because they want to do series and topics, and they think they know what people need when, as R. Kent Hughes would put it, people just need the Scripture. Yeah. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about this uh, what was it like for you growing up in a small church
0: well I knew everybody that was pretty helpful I had a lot of close relationships at church a lot of my memories from childhood revolve around church revolve around vacation Bible school uh, around Sunday school around serving I can remember very vividly serving in church I was serving uh, communion at when I was in junior high and high school, and there's a lot of churches that they don't even want junior high and high school students participating in stuff like that. Uh, I was active in that at a very early age. I think I tried leading like song service one day and that was a complete disaster. Uh, But I remember being very active in the church. It, a lot, most of my family went there, most of my extended family, cousins, grandparents, Uh, A lot of my close relationships that I had grown up revolved around church. It was a regular rhythm in our life of being at church. You talk a lot about being a youth in the church. Um, How many people were how many kids were your age in the church? When the youth group was active, I remember there being at least 30 kids when I was there. Wow. That I were love. active. Wow. That, that
1: is huge in a rural area. Uh, mm-hmm. Were a lot of them from primarily just
0: a few families? I mean, there was – my family was fairly large, so our immediate uh, butcher family uh, made up a big portion. But there's a lot that that just came from the surrounding areas. Uh, so I'd say the majority just came from other families and some that weren't even from Scottville, but they wanted to be a part of the they want to be a part of the youth ministry there. And that church that you're referencing
1: is Scottville Christian Church. Uh, It has deep roots in the Stone-Campbell Restoration Movement. It was actually started by Barton W. Stone, and its sister church, seven miles from there in Modesto, Illinois, was actually started by Alexander Campbell. So both churches have deep roots, and Scottville has produced a couple of ministers that have went and been faithful to God. And so it's it's got this long heritage of producing ministers mm-hmm. that you just you wouldn't expect in a in a town of its size. And so what what do you think were, were and still are the biggest challenges that that face that church?
0: Some of it is is just location that there's just not a lot of, there's not a lot of things for people to come unless you're farming. There's not a lot of reason for someone to to move there. And so eventually the town is just gonna dwindle just because of, of population and, and age of the people there. It doesn't mean you still can't have a faithful witness and that it still doesn't have, that the gospel isn't needed there. It's just those are some of the challenges as as people age out your the people in the area shrink. You have different there's different needs to be met in an area like Scottville than there are in other places. Um, Talk about that a little bit about the different needs that, that need to be met. Um, so Scottville, you're going to be dealing with, uh, with an older congregation more than likely. Um, you're not going to have like the 30 plus youth that are there at that time. And so you're, you have people that are in different stages of life, but there's also several people in Scottville that honestly have never heard the gospel before, um, which is kind of surprising, but they've just, they've just never heard the gospel. There's, there's people that are dealing with substance abuse issues in that area, um, that need to hear the gospel that that need to hear uh, the truth that have just not heard it yet Uh, there's people that are experiencing different stages of of poverty and financial stress that that need to hear the good news that that need to have charitable people around them showing them a different way of living so there's a lot of different needs that have to be met um, and those are just a a couple of them that come to my mind so you talked about the needs. Um,
1: how do you think that the, the rural church is different from the urban church or the suburban church? In in some ways that you know people don't normally think of.
0: Uh, one of the one of the challenges with a with a rural small church is that everybody knows everyone. In an urban context, it's really easy to kind of disappear and fall through the cracks. But every no, everyone knows everybody's business. They know their histories. And so sometimes, sometimes people being accepted into a congregation can be a lot more difficult. People being willing to grant people forgiveness can be a lot tougher just because they know their track record and sometimes they're not viewed as redeemable. Um, even though, um, the Christian message says something different, it's hard in the human nature to actually allow them to be, to view them as redeemable. And so I, I think that would be, that would be one of the, one of the tough things is, is in an urban context, you don't know everybody in Scottville. Everyone knows everybody and they knows they know all the stuff that they're that they're going through. If there's a family that has a big split or is experiencing a lot of conflict, everyone knows about it. Um, it's just, it's hard to escape. There's there's no real escape for people. There, there's probably the want to,
1: I mean, in a small town, everybody wants to know everybody's business and in the larger settings, there's not that drive to, to be nosy like
0: that. Um, but, um,
1: what are the perks of of the small town?
0: You're known, like you you have strong, rich community, uh, and being a part, being of a being a part of a, of a tight knit, specifically church community, has incredible benefits to we. When my wife and I were going through the adoption process and it seemed overwhelming at first because we had this large amount of money that we had to raise. And we had no idea where the money was going to come from. Uh, we had people surround us that were praying for us. And it it was almost like our we live three hours away from any type of family, immediate family. And your church becomes your almost your extended family at that point. And we were able through our church to raise over thirty thousand dollars for our adoption, and that's just a small, and that, and that's just one of the small stories that that happens in a in a church community of people just surrounding each other, working with each other, and that's part of the things about rural areas. Is people don't understand is that when people when people are in crisis, when they have when they have an a, an actual physical need that needs to be met the local church is really good about responding mm-hmm. and and people are really good they they know what is going on so something that can be something that can be abused and bad is something that can also be redeemed in a really good way where people know that people are going through a hard time and they're there for them they' they surround them and so that's one of the that's one of the big perks is, is being known in a in a rural area, in a small yeah, you church, you can't hide.
1: I mean, you can't you can't just hide yourself in a group of two thousand, three thousand individuals. You're when you show up on Sunday to a, a crowd of sixty to, you know, four hundred. It's it's tough to hide. Um, how do you think that the the smaller churches are are similar to the bigger churches
0: that we see now? They have people in them every 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 church has people and it's i've been to four churches now and they all have the same there's always the same people in every church um and and so there's there's some of that there's there's always there's always going to be that that complacent crowd that is just content with with showing up on sunday or maybe once a month, or once every two or three months, there's going to be the super devoted crowd that is there for everything that the church has. That that's serving, that's trying to find uh, new ways to to tell their friends, their neighbors about Christ. Uh, so there's there's it's very similar in that aspect. That there's it still has people. Some of the challenges are different, but the people are the same. Good. I, I'm I'm glad you you bring that out because
1: it's, whether the church is huge, small, intermediate, it's, it's about those relationships between people in Christ. And so I'm glad you brought the focus to that. Uh, while you're talking about that, you've been in youth ministry for a long time. Um, would you like to tell people how long you've, you've been doing the, the youth ministry
0: thing? I've been in youth ministry for six years now. Um, two different contexts, one I was in a town of about 12,000 and now Fairfield's about 5,200 or 5,000 range. So a little bit different context, this is a lot more, this is a lot more rural than what my previous church was. Um, but it's it's interesting and it has its its own challenges because youth ministry can take on its own kind of different culture and sometimes it develops a culture that's different than the church, which sometimes can get pretty dangerous. Um, but it's it's very it's very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, you, you said it
1: was a lot more rural. Um, not more than an hour ago, I watched a tractor and a grain cart go through the stoplight. So that just kind of tells you what kind of setting we're talking about here. Um, what joys do you find as serving in youth ministry in the rural church? Because it's it's a lot harder to serve in, in a rural youth ministry because the budgets are smaller, the the kids' attention spans and um, attendance are pulled away because of so many other things, and it's it's not just the rural church that faces that. Um, we have communities um, now that have programming even outside of the schools every night of the week and so it's hard to find time to get kids here on their own schedules let alone to set a a program that is individualized to each
0: kid so would would you comment on that a little bit i had to work with some really great teenagers and preteens uh, a lot of the a lot of the teenagers and preteens that i have are extremely committed and extremely faithful they come from families that put a high value on actually following christ and learning how to do that some families are better than others but there's a lot of them that are extremely committed to that and so i get i get to see that but i also get to see to see some kids get it for the first time and some of them have been Some of them have been in church their entire life and have never heard the gospel. Uh, I'll give an illustration of that. As I was, I had a senior in high school who was getting ready to graduate. And one of her big fears was that she wasn't going to be good enough for God, that she was afraid of dying and not being good enough. And she had just gone all that time years and years in church and sunday school and vacation bible school and somehow i'd come away with this idea that you have to be good enough and somehow have to do all these things to try to to earn your way into a good favor with god and had just missed the gospel and and all of that and so and watching some of them watching them get that and, and understand that it's not about It's not about what they do, but about something that's been done that we get to rest in is really fun to watch. And watching what they do after they figure that out is pretty cool because she went on ended up doing a mission trip to Haiti and then loved what God was doing down in Haiti so much that she went back the following summer to serve there for the entire summer uh, and got a real passion for missions because of that. What message would
1: you have? What, what, what concept would you like parents in the rural church to know
0: about their kids? Man, what your kid believes about Jesus is, way more important than them making the next ball game on time their their relationship with christ how they relate to god is is going to affect every other aspect of their life could you could you hone in on that a little bit more because i think you
1: may have just had people tune out And so we don't want we don't want to upset the apple cart here because we want you to listen and we want this message to get through. But you're hearing the heart of a youth minister who's been serving for years and watching with heartache.
0: Yeah. So I see a lot of parents that really put a huge emphasis and It's a great emphasis. They want the best for their kids and will spend thousands and thousands of dollars on making sure that their kid has the best equipment for, making sure their kid has the best equipment for any type of sport that they play, making sure that they're committed to every aspect of their education, get them enrolled in other, all sorts of extracurricular activities to make sure it looks good on their college resume, uh, and all that while, Christ keeps getting pushed further and further and further into the margins. And he ends up just becoming this type of being that comes in and tries to save the day when life comes in chaos, instead of being a being that reorients every part of who we are and what we do. And so some parents aren't taking the lead in discipling their kids or making sure that their kids know who christ is that he actually has a plan for their life um, or what christ has done barna actually did a big study on that that the people that are most apt or most that actually talk to kids about God's forgiveness is grandparents. That's great, though.
1: I mean, to have grandparents trying to to speak into the kids' lives because I'll be quite frank with you, from what I have witnessed, is most grandparents have more influence with their with their grandkids than the parents do with their own children. Um, you you brought up sports and. I would, I would venture to say that sports are more, maybe more of a problem in the rural church than in the, the urban and suburban church, just because um, schools are desperate for athletes in the rural settings, because uh, tryouts are not always an issue, because they, they just can't feel the team. And so... Every kid that goes out can get a spot on the team. And so then there's that many more sports that that come into the child's life and that fewer opportunities for them to do some very big things and grow closer to God within the church.
0: Uh, would you say that's true? Yeah, I would say that's true. One of the things I see that happens is that it starts, it starts off good where it's not, I think the problem with sports is we have a hard time seeing when it becomes an idol because we have a hard time seeing ourselves from the outside and seeing how overly committed that we become to certain things Um, to the point where you start, you really start justifying certain actions like, well, it's just, you know, we're just going to be playing games on Sundays for the fall and then we'll be back and and you just don't see how you start sliding into that stuff. That is like, I like sports, I watch sports, I participate in sports, but my parents never let sports become an idol for me. They just never let it slip into that place where it gave me my ultimate fulfillment, where it gave me my ultimate joy. That place is always supposed to be reserved for Christ. But sometimes we let it we let sports or whatever else you want to throw in there, we let that slip in there. And Christ loses his significance in our lives, and we, the problem is we just fail to see it. We can't see it. So, so you talk about that
1: That now. Let's, let's take that, and let's, let's go a little bit deeper there. Are there any goals you want to accomplish in, in the future with regards to ministry and, and regards to your own
0: faith? I think if there's one goal, I, I want to get dads more involved. Uh, that's one area that is – is like, and that's not just on a rural level. That's on a, that's on a national level that dads are just not involved with their kids on things that matter. They'll talk to them about how to get directions to a certain place or they'll talk to them about money, but when it comes to actually talking about – things that really matter faith questions um actually praying with their kids teaching them the bible dads are just way behind Um, and dads are ones that actually get clear directives in scripture for actually training their kids in righteousness they're the it lays at their feet they get they're supposed to be the spiritual leaders of their household Um, and dads are willing to do certain things like make sure they're Kids are doing well academically. They make sure that their kids know how to swing a bat, know how to have a nice level swing, and make sure that they're at every training session they can. But we're not training our kids for righteousness. And so to find a way to get dads more involved, um, because when you get dads at church and get dads involved, the family gets involved and the family takes it seriously. I mean, I think it's because that's God's design for things, too.
1: It is. It is. But what about the single mother that's trying to take her kids to all the sporting events and 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 just trying to survive in the rural, rural area?
0: Yeah. And that's tough for single moms because they sometimes get a bad and it's hard. We've got a single mom here who has six kids and it's and it's rough. But I've also watched the the church as a whole come around come around that individual. There's a real opportunity for men in the church to set an example and be an example and come alongside those kids who don't have that father figure in their life. People can step up and walk alongside that single mom as she's trying to make it uh, to be an example in the faith for him a, a Paul to a Timothy a Paul to a Titus they can come alongside and, and be that person is it it actually you need for youth you need at least 5 adults being involved and active in a teen and preteen's life for them to stay consistent in church.
1: Those, those aren't just new numbers. Those, those numbers have been around for a long time, guys. And Jacob's not referencing anything new. Those, those were numbers that came out at least 20 years ago that said, if you're going to retain a church member, they have to have five close contacts within the church that are willing to develop relationships in their life outside of the church building. And so what he's referencing is, is nothing new. Um, but he is showing you the importance of that. And so so I hear your goal is to to get the family more involved in in children's faith.
0: Yeah, to see that moms and dads have a responsibility to their kids to make sure that they they know who Christ is and what Christ has done and to show them the importance of regular r- rhythms of worship and rest that being a part of a local church is important. Um, belonging to a, a community of believers, a body of believers is important. And then whether it's children's ministry or youth ministry, that's supplemental to what mom and dad are doing at home. Yes. The age of drop
1: off or dropsy syndrome is uh, very huge in youth ministry, and I can hear that in your voice that um, you can't carry the load by yourself so with that uh, i I hear the the angst that that you have this care for for the new believers and and people that aren't yet believers and so, how do you feel about the church now versus when you were first converted?
0: Oh man. I think i was a little i think i was a little sheltered to a lot of things growing up um i it's a hard question i have a lot of i let i have a lot of hope for the local church especially uh local small i have a lot of hope for the local small churches <sighs> For reaching out to people who who don't have a faith yet, who are who are searching for that, that there's great opportunity in the local church um, to be there to walk alongside people, to to share the gospel with people. Uh, but I just I had a very select crowd that I was around when I grew up that I didn't get to see a lot of what is. In the world now that especially the kids are dealing with too. Being a teenager today is totally different than when I was a teenager, and that's not that long ago. And every generation echoes that. But the the age of the the age of internet and smartphone has dramatically changed people and we're still figuring out what all those changes are.
1: Which is one of the reasons why why we and the church at large is, is getting into the podcast uh, venture now. Because so many people, because of being digitally rewired um, and aesthetically rewired to look at a screen, um, the thought patterns have changed. And less and less people are, are looking to read. And that was always – seem to be the case in a more oral traditional culture of the rural church Um, so i think uh, it's a good trend in some ways because it's taking us back to to doing evangelism probably the way we should have been doing it a long time ago with our voice instead of trying to just hand people a bible or send them to a class um we're actually sharing our stories with them and that's that's the goal of this podcast is is to share your journey with, with people and your heartfelt wishes for the church and and for unbelievers and believers at, at large and and I hope it it reaches others which your voice is doing right now and so I thank you for doing this but as we as we get ready to close, what message would you like? to give to that new believer who is living in this town and country context and and may feel like they're all alone because it can feel like that in the rural church.
0: Yeah, you're not alone. I know it can feel like you're isolated, especially if you're making a big decision like that. That's an, uh, an, a big decision to follow Christ uh, when maybe it's, it's only you that's, that's towing the line on that, and you're the only one in your family that believes, uh, and you can feel isolated, and you can feel isolated being in a school where maybe there's a lot of people that that don't follow Christ or say that they do and are doing something completely different. It can be very isolating when you're the only one that is is fresh to the faith and you're excited about your faith, and then you come across people who've either— been christians for a while and are very complacent and look like people who aren't christians or you're just around people who haven't heard the gospel but you've heard it and you've responded and you're excited and you're passionate uh i would just remind you that even when it feels like you're alone and isolated that god is with you that god is for you uh And one thing that just be faithful in the little things just and remember that when we're faithless, God is faithful over and over again. uh, God continues to be faithful to the promises he has made because God is always true to who he is. He's always true to his nature. And if he makes a promise, he's going to keep that promise. Um, He can't break that promise. So he's always faithful. Um, And so I'd rest in that faithfulness. That's a great message. Um, And I think more people need to hear it, not
1: just in the rural church, but everywhere, because uh, I see such an unsureness in in everyone right now. And it's not just from the pandemic. It's not just that we're on the tail end of of COVID. Um, It's It's just wired within people right now. Everywhere I go, I see that right now, and it it breaks my heart. And so it's, it's good to hear that from you. Now... We're getting ready to to say goodbye to this session and to you, and we want to thank you for doing this. But there's one last question I I want to ask you, and that is, is there a legacy you want to leave behind? Is there something that you want people to remember
0: about you and how you served in the church? Oh, man, I (sighs) think— So i stole this from somebody else i stole it from my preaching professor at lincoln uh jk jones who i think he stole it from somebody else preachers never steal right he bought i think he borrowed it from eugene peterson uh that it was he wanted to be remembered for a long obedience in the same direction and that's that's i don't want to be if at the end of the day people when they were around me that they knew that I spent time with God that's what I just want to be remembered for that long obedience in the same direction for just being faithful that's that's what I hope to be remembered for
1: there's a tombstone at Panther Creek Cemetery which is about 4 miles from where Jacob grew up and it it sums up what he's what he's saying uh, there's there's a tombstone there for a man that I never knew Died in the early 1900s, and it says he loved God and he loved people. Isn't isn't that great? That's good. And it just echoes that he wants he wants to be known for a long obedience to God. And so I, that's my hope for everyone that hears this is that you would you would be encouraged and inspired to live that life of that long obedience to God, whether you're in a small town or you're in a town of 15 million people. It, it makes no difference. Um, we're all called as Christians, as followers of the way, to live that life of obedience. So thank you, Jacob, and we wish you many more years of continued success here and wherever God takes you in the future.